Faith requires us to think differently of ourselves. This is the third sermon in a series of three on the topic of faith. Week one emphasized that to live in faith requires faithfulness. Week two emphasized that to live in faith requires relationship. And now this week, our scripture reminds us that to live in faith requires us to think of ourselves differently. Consider our gospel lesson this morning. Jesus travels across the water to the country of the Gerasenes. The fact that Luke describes this as opposite Galilee informs the listener, and thus us, that this is the other side, the opposite of the chosen people. Jesus has gone into the land of the outsider, the Gentiles. The Gerasene man lives outside of town due to his unpredictability and violence. His physical state is such that he cannot function within the community. He does not wear any clothes. He doesn't live in a house. Instead, he lives in the cave-like rocks where the dead are buried. When he is asked his name, he has none to give. Instead, he describes himself. Legion. His identity is wrapped up in the state of his being. He is consumed and overwhelmed by that which haunts him. In other words, he has lost himself. And cut off from everyone, he has no relationship that can bring him back into an awareness of who he is. That is, until he meets Jesus. This is the heart of the salvation story. A person is saved through a relationship that reminds them of who they are. It's the reason that we watch movies that have this common theme. Think of the mission, or It's a Wonderful Life, or Christmas Carol, Places in the Heart, even Mary Poppins. I could probably make a 12-minute sermon just listing movie titles. Because each of these films is worthy of watching and re-watching because they tell the story of salvation. Consider the plight of Ebenezer Scrooge in Charles Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol. Scrooge is outside of society, mostly by his own choosing. A grumpy miser, he has set himself outside of the community. His inclination to take advantage of the poor results in suffering that leads many to wish he was dead. Then, on one fateful Christmas Eve night, he sees his life from a different perspective and thus changes his understanding of himself. His transformation is so unexpected that, if you recall, on Christmas morning, people are terrified. This is what we see in the Gospel lesson this morning. People are terrified to see in their midst nonetheless clothed and in his right mind, the very person who could break the bonds of the chains and shackles when he was in one of his unpredictable fits. 
The community from which he was ostracized has been so conditioned to see him in this violent and threatening state that they are uncertain of their capacity to see him differently. They don't know if they can be open to welcoming him into the community again. We know him as the Gerasene demoniac. Whether his contemporaries referred to him with this title or not, we don't know, but I am certain that they had a name for him, and that name reminded them of his threatening nature. Perhaps they were the ones that named him Legion. I imagine that the man who had been healed, this one who had been known as Legion, knew that the community would have trouble accepting him, and thus he wanted to follow Jesus, to go where people only knew him as he had come to know himself, as one saved by Christ. His faith required him to think of himself differently. Jesus directs him to go back to, into his community and share what God has done. And people most certainly wonder. Faith requires us to know ourselves differently, to see ourselves differently, and thus to operate differently in the world. We may find ourselves hesitant to respond to the expectation, fearful of what it might mean, how it might change our life. However, the stories of scripture remind us of the liberation that comes from this new understanding of ourselves, no matter what the cost. To see ourselves as children of God and to operate with that understanding as our primary understanding is to have things change. They change not only for us, but for the people around us. Paul speaks about this transformation in his letter to the Galatians, because he knows this experience all too well. Perhaps you remember his life-changing experience of Christ and how it leaves him blind. And Ananias, a disciple of Christ, is told by God to go to Saul. That's how he was known then. And Ananias says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and I understand that he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. Ananias doesn't want to go to Saul because he fears that he will meet his end. You can read about this in the ninth chapter of Acts. But Saul has such an experience that it changes his name. He is known as Paul. And when he's speaking in his letter to the Galatians, as we've read this morning, he speaks from experience. He knows what it is to have a new identity. When Paul speaks about the law as the disciplinarian, he's using the image of us as children and the law as our guardian. The law is the authority in charge of us until we grow up. The law assists us in growing into the full stature of Christ. We then become a new creation. No longer can we be categorized by the things of the world, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, to name a few. These categories do not disappear, they simply become insignificant. With a different understanding of ourselves, the old titles lose their value in our relationship 
with one another. So let's play with this a little. For example, it's a common practice to ask someone, what do you do? The answer consistently has something to do with some sort of job description or title. I was at the post-graduation party for the seniors on Friday night, and I overheard one woman say to another, I'm a volunteer. That's what I do. But what would happen if someone asked you, what do you do? And you answered with an answer that is shaped by your identity as a follower of Christ. Maybe you would respond with something like this. So what do you do? Well, I've been working at forgiving people. What do you do? Today, actually, he's primarily been about seeing the best in others. Now, I know that this seems a little silly, but I assure you the playful practice of attempting to answer a familiar and standard question with something that tells more about your identity than your to-do list just might invite you into a new way of seeing yourself. Perhaps you don't even really need to say it out loud. You could do this simply as a prayer practice in your quiet time. Because I'm not sure that saying it out loud to another person would add any value to the answer. It's realizing what God has done and is doing in you that helps you see the value in yourself. Through Jesus, God helps each of us to see a a different value in ourselves. So what is God doing in you that helps you think of yourself differently? What has God done in you that helps you to see yourself differently? What might God do in you? How might God heal you in a way that helps you know yourself differently? Faith requires us to think of ourselves differently because more than anything else, we see ourselves as children of God. And as God's children, God shares everything that he has. All that God has, God shares with us. Julian of Norwich, who lived in the 14th century, says this beautifully in the prayer with which I'd like to conclude this sermon. Let us pray. God, of thy goodness, give me thyself, for thou art sufficient for me. I may not ask for anything less than what befits my full worship of thee. If I were to ask anything less, I should always be in want, for in thee alone do I have all. Amen.